ESPN LA, Kamenetsky Brothers, Andy Kamenetsky, Brian Kamenetsky. Our guest, W. Kamal Bell, is a comedian, a writer, podcaster, TV host. The second season of his CNN show, United Shades of America, which follows Kamau as he explores subcultures across America and uses comedy to start a conversation about race. Kicks off Sunday, April 30th. He is also the co-host of one of our favorite podcasts. Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. Um, he is also the author of the upcoming book, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell, tales of a 6'4", African-American, heterosexual, cisgender, left-leaning, asthmatic, black and proud, blurred, mama's boy, dad, and stand-up comedian. Out May 2nd. Do you insist people use the full title when they promote the book? I'm new to promoting it. That's the first time I've heard somebody say the full title. It, you so. just realized it's overwhelming, huh? No, I like it. I was like, yeah, <laughs> keep it going. And I thought about all the words we took out of it. It was longer. It was much longer. Plus, uh, Kamal's a big Warriors fan, which means the next couple months of are of huge interest to him. W. Kamal Bell, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks man. for having me. We've been working on this for a while. Yeah. I appreciate the I appreciate the interest and the, and the fact that we made it happen. Absolutely. Um, so I guess to begin... What was it like with United Shades of America, just seeing so much of America with the specific purpose of examining America and, like, getting to know America? Uh, I mean, I was pr- I'm pretty happy that people talk to us. Like, anytime, we, especially with the second season, we sort of, the, the, the thing the, the showrunner, Donnie Jackson, said is we have to, when we go into places, we have to realize we're lucky that they'll talk to us, not the other way around. TV normally works the other way around. You're so lucky TV showed up for your life. Uh, <laughs> you're so lucky we want to tape you. But with the show, we, we really approach it as like, you know, try to leave the area better than you found it. So we're not trying to just, we're not trying to be like, aren't you so happy to be on TV? So I, anytime people talk to me and really have real conversations and it gets real deep real fast... I mean, I'm always, I'm just, I'm just really, I'm, I'm continually shocked by that. I understand that it's going to happen for the most part, but I'm still continually shocked by it. And, and you know, the people, if people haven't seen it, you know, last season, the first season, you made a splash opening episode. You go visit the KKK for a cross lighting. We were told thank you for being politically correct right. about <laughs> the terminology. I don't want to offend the clan. Words matter. Yeah, you yes. and Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm sorry, um, President. Yeah, so you were there for a, a cross burning, which they call a lighting. Uh, but you spent time with the Camden police in East LA. You went up to Alaska. That looked cold. Um, <laughs> went off the and grid, it, and it was spring. Yeah, it was yeah, spring in Alaska. Uh, that was spring. Yeah, it was spring. Oh my god! What? What? Uh, two things I'm curious about. First, how do you decide where to go? And the, you, you, when you talk about the the people talking to you. Mm-hmm. The, the level of acceptance that you get, the level of interest in what you're trying to do when you show up in their town, um, all those things. Um, you know, for me, there's sort of a – the first thing is like what is the country currently talking about that we're not doing a good job of talking about it? So thanks to the election, there was a lot of those that were really easy to pick. Uh, so it was like there's like these big subjects where it's like – well, we we're, this is in the news a lot, but we're not really having real conversations about it. So that's it. And the other thing is things I've just been curious about all my life that I'm just like, I would like to see how that works. So like the off the grid one was me being like, I love the grid so much. <laughs> I'm such a big fan of the grid. I'm, I want more grid. <laughs> like, I want more grid in my grid. Uh, I'm the person who's like, if my phone doesn't work someplace, we need to leave. Because why would I be someplace <laughs> where my phone's not working? Where my wife was like, my phone's not getting a signal. Yay. And so for me, it was like that was a personal like, I'd like to know what people are thinking to live off the grid when when you say we're not having the conversations that we should what what specifically do you mean by that like if you were looking to try to create 
the because that's the no the cliche is we need to have a conversation right. whatever it is it starts with a conversation about race but we need to have a conversation about healthcare. We, we, apparently but I mean, we can't do it mean? right. I mean I, the thing with the book is the word awkward is the key thing that I use. We have to you have to be open to awkward conversations. You can't just have a conversation. It's not just people taking turns talking. Like it's not just like okay I'll say my thing and then you'll say your thing and then at the end we'll both walk away having said our things and feel like we got our and then our teams will judge us about how the things we said, uh, which is you know the debate the de- presidential debates. But for me it's like a, actually like allowing yourself to get into awkward conversations where a lot of it's sitting and listening. Like when somebody's talking, there's there's this thing to go like you want to interrupt somebody or you want to go yeah but that's not. Actually just sitting and taking the information, I think that's not something we do a good job of. And then responding specifically to the information, not responding to the thing you were waiting to say. When when people have the, you know, the conversation about race in this way, the awkwardness of it, what is awkward for black people on that part of the conversation? What are the things that, you know, particularly, you know, White guys don't understand. And may you mean what get. is awkward for black people when we talk to each other? Or no, what when, is... we talk to, when we have these conversations. If we sit yeah. down, what are the awkward parts the things that are hard to talk about that, you know. I think for black people, the awkward thing is that white people still don't seem to get it. <laughs> I think that if, I'm, if I'm honest about it, like, we're like, are we, do we have to have this conversation again? Right. <laughs> like, I feel like, didn't MLK have this conversation with you already? Uh, so for me, I think the awkward thing is that for black people, is that a lot of black people feel like, I don't want to have to talk about this again. I don't want to have to, I don't have to sit across from a white person and go, like, because there's this thing right now with the current tenor of the country of, like, white people are like, okay, fine, I'm ready. To tell me. Explain right. it to me. Fine. And people are like, I've been telling you. For, i got to tell you now. And so there's an exhaustion about having to tell people again. And, and meanwhile, gets, we're, like, super enthusiastic. Now you're super treating, ready for the Like, treating <laughs> you like, totally a, like an anthropological yeah. kind well, of thing. Yeah. Con- yeah. this is interesting. It's a contest to be the most woke. Yes. Yeah, that's the second time I've had that woke conversation. I think that, like... We didn't call it woke when it was MLK. Was just like, here's some survival techniques. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I think the 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 fact that it's sort of in vogue right now, hashtag resist and hashtag stay woke. For a lot of black people, it's like, but are we really going to have the conversation? I mean, once you're done with the with the coolness part and the trendy part, are we really going to actually have it? And are you going to change your behavior based on what you learn from the conversation? So it's more than yeah. a Pepsi commercial. Is what I you're was saying. saying. Exactly. <laughs> Going to make it's, the same joke. It's somewhere between Pepsi and United. It's somewhere yes. in the middle of like <laughs> Kendall not, Jenner didn't resonate in the black no, community. Pepsi's perhaps. not going to solve it all. Also, don't drag people out by their faces. It's so there's somewhere between those two points. By the way, the same week there was also the guy who was the in, in who was replaced for a higher paying passenger, and then a scorpion fell out of the I overhead. Heard about that. I, awkwardly, I had United flights right after that happened. And I was like, so wanted to tweet and be snarky about it, but I was traveling with my daughter. I'm like, I don't know. The last thing I need is to have <laughs> to see me and my daughter dragged off a United flight because I was being funny. So yeah. When you find yourself having to have those conversations over and over with white people, do you, do you mm-hmm. think it's more a matter of white people being genuinely oblivious, like wherever that place comes from, being oblivious or defensive, like the idea of they personalize it? Do we have to choose? No, you don't. Know, no, no, it can uh, only be one or the other. I think obliviousness leads to defensiveness. I think is the problem is that if you don't know something's happening and somebody goes, well, there's a sense of feeling guilty about not knowing. And then it's a, instead of sitting in guilt, like people go, well, I don't want to. Well, but I feel shame. Good. Now let's move through the shame. <laughs> like I think instead of like sort of sitting with the guilt and like, well, what can I do to make it better? They want to get the guilt off of them or they want to get the uh, they want to. Nobody wants to look. Nope. The problem is nobody wants to look or feel stupid stupid and there's a lot of this stuff that you have to you just don't know and you should be okay with the fact you don't know it and if a black person says this is how i feel or this is what happened and you are aware of it instead of going i don't want the world to operate that way because that scares me 
you people go, I don't know if that's racism. <laughs> and, and which is like, which again, black people are like, we're doing it again, aren't we? <laughs> like, so instead of like in the, in the same way, I mean, and I wrote in my last special, I had a bit about that, like the idea of like whenever a white person says to a black person, I don't know if that, how do you know it's racism? It's the same if I said to a person, how do you know that's pizza? <laughs> like, the idea of, like nobody ever asked that question. It's like, I trust that you know if you had pizza for lunch that you know it was pizza. Right. Well, hopefully he ordered it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. But I listened, I, I listened to you, you did a, an appearance on the WTF podcast with Mark Maron. It's like four years ago. That's funny. I just yeah. did one this morning. Oh, cool. Yeah, Mark, look for that. Mark brought me back. I, I, I feel like yeah, I feel pretty lucky. Right? Um, but this was this was in 2012. So it was yeah. before... We had the same exact conversation, yeah, before, weirdly. Okay, good. <laughs> just Trump so said, you're all said warmed the up. Trump every now and again. It was before Black Lives Matter, before the 2016 election, um, in days that feel somewhat quaint mm-hmm. by comparison. But you said something I thought was really interesting, that like white people don't think about whiteness as much maybe as as they should. And if you could explain that, because for a lot of white people, it's like an, it feels like a short distance between like I'm going to think about my whiteness and I'm going to be like a white power guy. Well, that's the, that's, don't want that. That's the that's the, right. That's the gross problem. White people associate white pride with Nazis and the Klan with some cause. Yes, but. <laughs> We don't associate black pride with just the worst elements of black people. No. You know, so I feel like white people find things to be proud about that aren't the Klan and Nazis. Like, that's, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, I, my daughters are mixed race. My wife's white. I don't want my daughters to be like, black power. And those white, the white side of me, I'm not into. You know what I mean? Like, I think the idea is that my daughters are proud of the white side of their family. It's just that we don't call white white. We call it Italian or we call it, uh, you know, uh, whatever. All these other words, Midwestern, wasp. Like, there's <laughs> instead of like, no, it's white. And so, for me, white people need to start naming their whiteness because white is often in this country thought of as the absence of race, when really there is an identity white American, just like there's an identity black American or Latino American. But it's interesting, though, that you noting your daughters being biracial. My, my daughter is as well. My wife is Latina. And you start seeing the politics that goes on with race and with culture and how very often the way you are at the very least told to identify it's it comes from external forces. No, like yeah. it gets decided for you. Nobody would know what race they were unless somebody told them. Yeah. Nobody's born. Like when my daughter was a kid, we would we'd ta- we'd read books that were about mixed race families, and they talked about just literally the color of skin. And so she's like, "I'm peanut butter." Now, if there was no institutional racism and race in this country, she would just identify herself as peanut butter American. But if if we let her leave the house and do that, we are being irresponsible parents. So I was like, yes, your skin is peanut butter colored. However, I'm black, which is already confusing because I'm brown. And, you know, and then your mom's white, which is already confusing. My daughter thinks she's oatmeal colored. And we have to sort of, like, introduce those concepts and really make sure she has them so that she's not out in the streets going, stop, black lady. Who's he talking to? I'm the peanut butter lady. O- oatmeal lives matter. Oatmeal <laughs> lives matter. Like, yeah, yeah. But, but it, it's interesting, though, just because, like, people always say, you know, kids don't see color. They don't see right. <laughs> they actually do. Well, yeah. They but just, but yeah. they see it without any baggage attached. That's, yeah. Kids are all about learning colors and operating with a crayon world. And uh, my daughter loves color. She just doesn't associate colors with I'm not going to talk to the purples. Like it's just like <laughs> I'm not dealing with the with the pinks. Like it's not. They see color. They just don't judge. But it. but they yeah. can learn. I mean, I was I coached my my son's baseball team. My oldest seven, and so I'm out there and we're hitting balls. And, I, and this kid, you know, he's looking around. He's like, Am I the only Jew here? <laughs> 
Good for him. And I'm like, and I'm like so like you learned. And I, yeah. and I, I was like, what? And then the other kid said, what did he say? He said he wanted to know if anyone else is Jewish. I'm Jewish. I said, well, there you go. <laughs> See, but, but like, but yeah. you learned those things. So yeah. he's like, okay, where are the other, where are the Jews at? I'm like young Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yes. Um, so like you, and it, the, the, the the trying to teach those things in a way that doesn't feel unhealthy. Yeah. Where you don't want to label people, but. It's naive to think we don't live in a world of labels. Yeah, and I think that the problem is that white people aren't teaching their kids. The, they're teaching the kids the other labels, but not labels for themselves. Like, the, if white's not a thing, how does this country work? I mean, white is clearly a thing. You know, if you pay, if Donald Trump is Latino, he's not the president. <laughs> like, it's just it's not. There's no chance if he's a black Actually, guy. Actually, if Donald Trump is Latino, he's not a lot of things that he is right now. Exactly. Yeah, he's not. Well, I mean, I talk about this. I have a. Actually, sounds like a pretty good deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just saying. Uh, I'd, I'd make that trade. Right now. Yeah, yeah. Would, I mean, but if, I would. I mean, you don't have to look that far. If he's if if Donald if he's Donna Trump and he's a black woman, he's not the president. You know, it, it's not. Th- these are things that like only whiteness is a big part, and maleness is a part of it, and, and heteronormative and cisgender and and straight. Though all those things, like if you're those things and you're a, a certain height, and at some point in your life you're considered good looking. I don't think anybody does that now for him. Even Melania looks like Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, then if you're those things, that things are, and also you, because I talk about this in my, I have a solo show that I do at colleges called W. Kamal Bell Curve, Ending Racism in About an Hour. And I talk about, <laughs> that's uh, all a lot it of things. I got a lot, yeah. Yeah. So the thing that I talk about is like the reason why Donald Trump was rich is because his dad was able to buy and sell real estate. Well, there was a point in this country where black and brown people were not allowed to get, weren't getting bank loans. And we weren't able to build up. So you couldn't be born into a million dollars. You know right. what I mean? You couldn't have a debt. There's no way a black person could just have, oh, my dad bought a lot of real estate and now I'm, I'm born. Well, and I, I think that's the part that, that white people struggle with, I think, is you know institutional forces mm-hmm. and the difference. This, I, sometimes I wonder if the vocabulary around this stuff needs to change because – It always needs know, to change. Right. We have to update it every – it's like yeah, software. The, there's like institutional <laughs> racism that, you know, and things that are systemic versus you – Dave mm-hmm. are a racist person who hates black people or whatever it might be, and so when they hear you know uh, white privilege or institutional racism, they think, well, I, I, my parents grew up poor. I had to do this, and it's like, no, it's not you. Mm-hmm. It's, and so you know, when you call somebody a racist, they get very defensive because they don't want to think of themselves that way, even if they have prejudices. And so, yeah. I, I, I think to me, at least racism implies intent. Prejudice is more latent. I could be wrong, but that's. But I just feel like the vocabulary is very limiting well, in terms I mean, of, of, of figuring this stuff out. I mean, I think it's also we're all defining words differently too, and I mm-hmm. think that's the it's, not, it's the vocabulary is one thing, but it's also like if you're if you're an academic working in racial justice, then racism. You, this is where it, and I see this fight happen on the social media all the time. Then racism is defined as you have to have power to be a racist, and that isn't power that you exercise; it's power that you participate in just by your skin color. Like the idea is that a black person can't be racist to a white person because they don't have the power. Mm-hmm. They can be prejudiced, but they can't be racist is the thing that involves power. But not everybody has that definition. So you see people all the time online babbling about, like, how can that be? How can you say black people can't be racist because this black guy just called me this word? And they're like, that's not racism. That's an so you have to really define and i think a lot of times we're not defining the terms in the same way forget the vocabulary it's like we are using words that that we think we we each have different definitions of and i think high school debate will teach you have to define terms for the conversation but i think for me it's like i was talking about like i have height privilege i'm six foot four it is awesome to be over six feet tall there's and the things that are bad about it aren't worth complaining about and i feel like that so that means i know a little bit what it's like to be white 
<laughs> like, you know, that I just, there's just, I just get it's, a lot. Of, I get a lot. It's of a very, very specific degree of so white. Like, it's like a tiny. It's like one like percent. Five foot six black guys really screwed then. <laughs> well, that's that's why nothing. That's why those those tend to work really hard, like Damon John on Shark Tank. <laughs> like, there's, like, there's a reason Kevin Hart has his work ethic. Exactly. Yeah, Kevin Hart is doing a lot better than me because he's not six foot four. <laughs> just that one option yep. that was taken away from him. Yep. He was like, I better bust. I better try to sell out Madison Square Garden 19 times in a row, and I'm like, hey. I sold out this energy place. Yay! I'm doing great. And here's yeah. an extra 200k for being tall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard you talk uh, before about, you know, like we just mentioned, the differences between prejudice versus you know systemic institutional racism. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the racism end of it is insidious. How dangerous, though, do you think just the prejudices are? Just the like, is is it a gateway drug to racism? Well, yeah, I think that. That I think, like I said, these are they're people way smarter than me. We should get Ta-Nehisi Coates in here to finish this interview. But, I'd love uh, to get him. I'm sure you would. <laughs> I, every business I'm at, I'm like, oh, you could get Ta-Nehisi. You're like April Ryan, yeah, but yeah. do you have his number? Exactly. Right. <laughs> nope. <laughs> he won't even return my tweets. But uh, but the idea being that like everybody sort of there's a little bit of thing inside you that goes, that don't talk to that guy because of this. Don't do that. Prejudice is the idea, and then racism is sort of the way you can enact that idea. And I think a lot of people are like. There's just benefits you have as a white person in this country that you're not feeling, which means you are participating in a racist mm-hmm. society because you're not – and you, the fact you don't feel it is a privilege. The fact that you're like, man, every time I apply for a job, I get an interview. <laughs> or or I've never felt like in a situation my skin color was a detriment except a, that one time I went to that one black nightclub, which every white person <laughs> has that story. Yes. One time I went to this one nightclub. And whereas black people and brown people and Asian people every day are in situations where they're like, oh, this is going to be a bad thing. I mean, in my book I talk about this. This time I got, I got told to leave a coffee shop where I was talking to my wife because they thought I was bothering her and her friends. Yes. Yeah. You know, like that's not that's not so, and I w- and here's the thing, when that happened, I wasn't like, I never imagined this. I was shocked, but I was like, oh, it's cuz I'm black. You know, it's <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't have to go, what is happening? I was like, I can't believe this is I I'm sad this is happening. I'm shocked this is happening, but I can't be like, well, I never would have imagined that this would have right. happened in America. You you do you know, stand up entirely, you know, constructed around these sorts of, you know, questions and, you know, sort of social, racial, you know, a lot of heavy issues. Humor obviously can be a bit disarming. We we laugh at ourselves. We, you know, we can be not as sensitive about our differences. On the other hand, you know, it can also be a way just to be kind of an a-hole. Like mm-hmm. you say, you take a, make a joke, just where is that line? What is the line, you know, between being honest and being funny, not taking ourselves too seriously and legitimate, like, dude, no, you can't. Say that. I mean, I think a lot of times it comes about what's the what are, what's the reason you're doing the joke for? Like be, behind every joke is a reason. <laughs> like you know, it's not like these things don't exist in a you know in in a vacuum. So I feel like there's a difference between you know, and I feel like it, and and, it, and it's really it's about how you. It's really a lot of it is ephemeral. You can't. Why is it that Louis C.K. can do a joke with the word with the N word in it, but other white comics can't? I can't really tell you. It just feels like I can tell that guy's friends with Chris Rock. Like, it just <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, it's just sort of something I go, this guy's been around black That gets to us. So, like, I, Don Rickles died late last week, it was. I yeah. Think. And I, I went, like a lot of people, I went back and watched a bunch of Don Rickles stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the stuff he was doing in, in the different roasts, and it were, and it were brutal. Like, he yeah. made it, you know, Sammy, he's roasting Sammy Davis, and he's talking to Sammy, I love you, this, that, whatever. And he bends mm-hmm. down like he does everybody, gives him a kiss, stands back up, looks at the audience, says, do I have any black on my lips? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
is that funny? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I feel like but, you just answered like, your own question. Because I laughed. I laughed, and then I said to myself, I, I, like, I, don't, I mean, I know it's, it's objectively yeah. funny. It's a good line. It's well mm-hmm. delivered. Mm-hmm. It's all that. In 2017... Is that still funny? No, because he did it forty years, fifty right. years ago. Like I think that, like we have to, the, you can't do the like. That's the problem. Is like that joke. First of all, there's a lot of things. That joke was in a specific context. Let's right. talk about that too. Uh, he's making fun of specifically. He's making fun. Of, yeah, and right. essentially, and also he's defined himself as the guy who does that. Right. I'm the guy. I'm the insert sure. guy. There's there's also a thing about again like about uh, Don Rickles is that you just feel like he seems like he's probably a nice guy. Like you know what I mean? Like there there are people who couldn't get away with that joke based on the frame that they come in. If Don Rickles had been a six foot five, three hundred pound, muscled, good looking guy, that joke comes off differently. You know what I mean? But there's something about Don Rickles where he seems he's he he's he he's it's like he just seems like a nice guy. He seems like a teddy bear, you know? So there's that too. There's the frame that they, it's the the shell that it comes in. And also there are comics still doing that joke. And at this point, it's like, what are you still doing that joke for? Like, I can't do who's on first right now. <laughs> like, I mean, so there's an aspect, too, where, like, people are like, well, how come I can't do that joke today? Because it was done. Right. Right. Or even jokes like that. Write new jokes. If you're doing jokes about black people's skin color coming off in the year 2017, get out of the comedy game, man. Like, I just feel like that's the other thing, you too. You need like, to try hard. Yeah. You need to, like, that's a, it's like, you can... Nobody's there are like I for example back to Louis C.K. There's something about Louis C.K. where he can get away with things that other white comics can't because it's a little bit of the Don Rickles thing. There's something about him that even when he says jerky things, you're like he just seems like he's probably a good dude. You know what I mean? And same thing about Chappelle. When Chappelle says things that are out of that, sometimes people get bothered by. There's a part of it that's like, but there seems like there's a good dude. You know? So I think it's about you can't necessarily control all that, but you have to know that that's the deal. And then if you're if you're like for example, Bill Maher. It's like sometimes it's like you know, you say the things I agree with, but you don't seem like a good dude. No, and, 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 and widely considered <laughs> a jerk. Yeah. Like yeah. so, it's like even though I agree with that joke you just made, I don't like here. I just don't want to be well, here. I mean, with in you. a lot of different ways, the delivery mechanism where you're whether you're talking about the person or the literal delivery of it, mm-hmm. it matters. I mean, it's all optics and aesthetics. Well, it is, and I and I know that as as again, I said six foot four, two hundred fifty pounds, probably two sixty at this point. Let's be honest. Hashtag dad bod. Uh, <laughs> but like when I step on stage, that. I'm not necessarily doing it on purpose, but I'm also – it's like nature or nurture. Like I smile a lot. I laugh at my own jokes. Some of that is me on some level disarming the audience of like even though I'm a gigantic, beastly-looking person, I'm actually a nice guy. I'm not doing that. I'm not laughing on purpose. Like I better laugh here so they like me. I'm not smiling on purpose, but this is about – it's like nature versus nurture. I've grown up in a way that I'm aware that my shell makes people feel uncomfortable, so I have to adapt so I can live to survive. Do you have more flexibility to do that kind of – to do, to do your commentary, do your act now than you might have before, because people who show up to your show now know what they know what they're they're stepping into. They know who you are. Yes, I mean, I definitely think that like that. Uh, but see, yes, if I, if I'm doing a club like or I'm doing a nightclub or something, I go come see W. Come Bell. Those people who are coming through the door are people who are like, oh, I get it. But a lot of times, the guy they like is the guy from CNN. Which and Van Jones talked about this too, and I was like, that's true. That's not exactly the same guy you're going to see in a comedy club. The guy in the comedy club is going to swear more. Mm-hmm. He's going to get angrier about more things. So there is still a sense where they're like, I, sometimes it's like, I didn't know it was going to be this. Well, you, like, I mean, they want may- full house Bob Saget. You're <laughs> yeah, giving him exact, something different. It's that same exact thing <laughs> right. where it's like, you know, not quite as extreme as Bob Saget. <laughs> but, you know, where it's like there's still, like I do college shows. And, I mean, 
I, there will be a core of the audience at the colleges like I know you from Totally Biased or from Denzel or from United Shades. And then I did a show, and the, like I said, the show's W come out bell curve. And at the end, this white kid was like, I liked it, but I thought it was going to be about math because it was called the bell curve. So, <laughs> and this is at like a college show. So I, even at these shows where you think everybody in the room is for you, <laughs> there's still some aspect of people who are like, I have no idea what this is. It was just, it was just at the right time of day when I could come. I guess uh, moving a little bit into basketball, Warriors heading off on their playoff run. <laughs> You've been uh, rooting for them for a while? You've been a lot. Uh, I mean, long. I used to go to Warriors games when you could buy twenty tickets for like eight dollars. You know, like <laughs> it was like when they used to. They literally would canvas the streets, sort of like selling these ticket <laughs> packages. Where if like for twenty dollars, they would just give you like all the tickets for the rest of the season, <laughs> like out of a trunk of a yeah, car. Like it was like people talk about like at the A's games. Chris Gatling. Somebody told me this. Chris Gatling would go to the A's games because they're right the arena yeah. right next to each other and just hand out tickets to people. Like he was just, in, but not like he was in the stands. Like oh, that's Chris Gatling. Here, his tickets to the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> so I so I've lived in the Bay Area since '97. So it's like I have seen you know the the big deal when it was like we knocked off the the Mavericks in the first. That was the right. big like the that we was believe big, year. Yeah, yeah, the we believe year. And not thinking it was going to get better than that. Now, it's interesting, though, because the Warriors, in the last couple of years, they've gone from, like, the absolute darlings of the NBA yeah. to, I would say, at the very least, the quasi-heels. And there's now this backlash. <laughs> Do you get where it comes from? Yeah, it's team video game. It's like, I mean, I, I think that – and I think it's actually an age divide, too. I don't know that younger people feel that way about them because I think – the thing about the Warriors, and I was like, yeah, Kevin Garnett is what? He's what, 27, 28, 20? He's, he's of the age where that's what you did. You got like NBA Live on your on your Nintendo or whatever, or you got whatever is NBA 2K, and you made the best team from the best players. So, and I think that based on LeBron's example, like that's what you do. Like that's, you know, that's how the game becomes fun. So I get why, but also it's like, this is what I would do if I was playing the team at my house. I put the best players on the team. But this is, it's, I think it's also something that's, that's, unique to younger people versus like the Jordan era and Andy and I make this point all the time Michael Jordan ruined sports he ruined what? it he ruined it for now everyone. wait I graduated from high school in Chicago so let's yeah. be careful everybody okay. He ruined the way we talk about sports okay. and the way we view achievement in sports, where everything boils down to rings. If you oh. only rings matter, and if you lose like one time in the path of getting rings, yeah, but you lost that one time. <laughs> like LeBron getting penalized for carrying that sorry ass Cleveland team in 2007 to the finals, like. The only reason they're there is because of LeBron, but you're going to treat that as a black mark on his resume. Like, it's positive that he got him there. Right. Just like that. And, you know, this whole – and we get it in L.A., you know, Kobe Bryant. It's like Kobe, baby Jordan, fed into this whole thing. Any season I don't win is a wasted season. I no, want to yeah, do it myself. But it's that, a waste of my life. But, but I, like, think, I think that's Kobe and LeBron taking the wrong lessons from Michael Jordan. I think they ruined the NBA. Maybe, but some, some, <laughs> somebody ruined sports, or at the very least ruined sports talk. I lived in talk. Chicago, so it's hard They to ruined sports talk radio. I think everybody was trying – I think not everybody can be Michael Jordan. I think you have – there's a lot of people got to be Charles Barkley. I'm just having a good time. Yes. And I do think <laughs> but that's it, not okay anymore. No, no I, I do it's think not that a, that's – It's so young, but I think, like, we live in a world where, like, you know, 29-year-old people, if they work in an office – Want to work without? Well, they want to work at a big table yeah. with collaborating and yeah. doing this, and let's all let's all kind of. There is that communal kind of thing now, and that's what Katie's looking for. It's like, why wouldn't I want to go have fun at work? Yeah, Not just athletes. It's like, yeah, no, everyone. Yeah. This is a fun job. Why? Why not make it more fun? But I think that again, I think he got that example from LeBron. I mean, 
I, and, I, and, I, and I talk about in the book the difference between hating someone and sports hating them. So I sports hate LeBron. I don't hate the person. Like, like, and I think sometimes we get caught up in like if I'm if I'm like saying I don't if I'm saying I don't like LeBron, I'm really talking about sports. Don't like it's right. not like the, the guy seems like a great guy. You should make it clear he's becoming very powerful in Hollywood. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> they, 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 I don't Hollywood hate him at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would love him. <laughs> but as a, as a person who's not a Cavaliers fan and has seen him sort of like I think the thing that KD did is a ripple effect of LeBron because. Whatever you think about LeBron James, okay, LeBron, he, they, I agree. He took Cleveland to the finals. That should have been like, I was like, okay, this is the Michael Jordan thing. What Michael Jordan did is like, all right, next year. But LeBron left. And so he goes to Miami where they assemble this super team. And the first year they don't win. And I was like, yay, that's what you get. <laughs> and then the next two years they win. And then the last thing, yay, that's what you get. <laughs> and then instead of like, like Pat Riley's like, well, we got to dig deep. And we gotta, he's like, nope, I'm going back to Cleveland. And not, I'm not going back to the Cleveland as it exists, I'm going back and I'm firing everybody. <laughs> like I'm going oh, yeah. back and like David Blatt, just get just have your stuff in a box, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like because it's coming. And also the guy you drafted, we're not doing that. I'm getting Kevin Love, even though I don't know him and never played with him. I just feel like I want a guy like that. Like to me, that's what's ruining the NBA. Is like there's not a sense of like like this year when LeBron was like, we need a we need a we need a ball handler. What are you doing? Like, isn't that, like I don't understand. You need every single piece. You yes. Can't. I want all the stuff. All of the things. I want them all. Except though when the Warriors do it. What do you mean? Except of course when the Warriors had every piece. Then it, but they don't but I mean I I'm not but you don't hear the Warriors talking about it in the press like that. Steph Curry doesn't come out and go, We need a six foot two backup point that's guard. That's true. Like there's not that same sense of like LeBron is actually campaigning in the press for what the team needs, where the Warriors are like, they got a lot of things, but a bench they do not have. So what were you thinking last year when, you know, Clay starts popping off and everybody starts poking the bear up three one, you know, they're complaining. <laughs> Did you have a sense that this might be a bad idea? I was at the game that where Draymond Green was he was the game he would have where we should have won but he got suspended. I was a friend of mine had tickets that game and I was so excited. I was like I'm going to be in a game where they win the whole thing when they didn't. When I was like, yo, <laughs> there, was like, there was a sense of like this this may not happen. I I the thing about the Warriors that scares me is that the things they do well are often things that you can lose right like three point shooting just disappears sometimes. And I feel like the Warriors don't necessarily have a second move. Like they, like thinking about Jordan, it's like, oh, my jumper's not falling. I'm just going to drive the lane. Oh, that's not working. I'm just going to make sure you score zero points. You know, like. And I feel like with the Warriors, it makes me nervous. Is like, it's sort of like it's like a video game. You're like, well, that last three didn't hit. I'll take another one. Oh, that's not hitting. It just really makes me as a fan nervous about them. Speaking of Draymond, how sad is it that this world class athlete, you know, like literally one of the best athletes on the planet has no control over the leg that just spontaneously <laughs> kicks people in the junk. It is, it, I, I mean, we treat it like it's, it's horrible. A, we treat it like it's he's doing something wrong. It's clearly some sort of malady. No, when he's done with the NBA, there will be a, there will be a study that is done. Like, he's going to be like, every year, 50% of Americans suffer from leg I mean, you, you, you did, I've done, I mean, like, Every once in a while, you're just walking along and you just kick somebody in the junk. No, it happens. It, happens. it, happens. it just and happens. It's an epidemic that this country is afraid to discuss. That's part of making America great again is stopping people from kicking people in the nuts. It's randomly. one of the conversations. I hope Draymond can remove the stigma. <laughs> exactly. He's gonna, it's going to be like he's going to testify before the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> we have to finally address this. People's legs just keep hitting people in the nuts. He's going to be the face of this. Yeah, he'll be the face of it. Yes, yeah. Um, we got to ask you about the Denzel Washington is the greatest uh, actor of all time, period, podcast because we're both big listeners. Well, thank you. When was the moment like of clarity when you realized he was, in fact, the greatest actor of all time, period? 
when was the moment? It's like it's like I feel like it was a moment. Me and Kevin Avery, who's the co-host of the show, I feel like we both like it's that thing where you go, I really love this guy. I think he's the best, and then one day you find somebody's like, you do too. Wait a minute, <laughs> like realizing that there was another person in the world who felt. For me, it was like, I mean, I think I think when I saw Malcolm X initially, like the movie is good, but he's just like you're like I don't understand how this guy's able to do this, like because I remember when he was cast in the movie. He was people were like he's too dark to play Malcolm X. He's not the right. He's not tall enough. He's not skinny enough. He doesn't. He's you know. There's all these things where he's not. He's he's a great actor, but he can't pull this off. And then when you go see Malcolm X, and you're like, why does he look exactly like Malcolm X, but he doesn't? But he does. Like and then the and the, the that movie was really key and sort of affecting me even as my career. Like I because that movie, I read the book, and I think that helps sort of like the work I'm doing now. A lot of it is through it's like things that happen around that age of my life. So yeah. So I think it's I think and then it's like. And then it becomes fun to see him in movies like like Inside Man, where you're like he's just having a good time. That's actually I wanted to ask you about that because it's a theory I've talked about with friends of mine who are big movie fans and uh, Denzel fans, or whatever. With the possible exception of Samuel L. Jackson, I think Denzel Washington is the best actor in Hollywood at phoning it in. And, and, and I don't I don't even mean that as an insult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because you know. In taking of just, Pelham I'm one two three, just gonna be Denzel. Yeah, yeah and that's gonna yeah. be enough. But like in taking yep. of Pelham yeah. one two three, you don't do the same performance that you do in Fences or Flight. Like it would, no. it would mess up the movie. Yeah, no, it would, it would make it hard on the actor standing around you. Like <laughs> we can't stand up to that, sir. But but it doesn't seem like he's either coasting or embarrassed by the material. Like he's or not paying like- attention. He seems to he seems to approach he seems to approach jobs with all the seriousness that they deserve, and then a little bit more. So it's like you you're still watching a Denzel Washington movie. Yeah, he. I mean, he's just he's phenomenal. That like you watch him in something like like taking a Pelham one two three or uh, Unstoppable or whatever, and you, you have these moments where you're like, wow, he yeah, really is. A- really funny. Like he spends the entire movie sitting down, oh, looking backwards, <laughs> looking backwards. Like, it's like and yet it's like, man, I hope this works out for this guy. <laughs> my, my my wife and I were joking. We watched that movie that like at some point like there must have been something different in the script, and they rewrote it. And he's like, okay, so all I have to do is walk, look backwards. The whole no, movie? no, no. It's like he was like, it was like he was like, I'm just tired. <laughs> And they're like, what do you, I don't want to do a lot of well, running. Who is that actually has it in his closet that he won't run? Is that Samuel Jackson, Jackson is the rumor yeah. that he has in his closet. <laughs> will not run. Even though he does superhero movies regularly. Not run. Yeah, Nick Fury, not a, not a man of action. I've never uh, seen him run, though, now that I think about it. We, there's a couple half runs, but no, it's it's a very – he does not run. No, the, the other thing I'll say about Denzel that I think is so amazing is that he has managed to stay relevant in Hollywood at, a, at an age where even Tom Hanks is starting to be like – I don't know. We need to see all the uh, all the pe- all the. What's he got? Like the circle. Yeah, all the like yeah, da- all the Dan That's Browns. And going. All the yeah, yeah. yeah, like it's. Just, I mean, we still love you, Tom Hanks, but it's like, but Denzel is still like you know, the Equalizer was a big hit, and he's also doing Fences and and uh, and my favorite thing. This is the, the moment I think the modern moment when I realized Denzel was the greatest actor of all time. Period. In Flight, at the scene where he's in the hotel. Spoiler alert. And he's done all the coke. He's done. Yes. He's done he, he, he drank all the alcohol, and they need to bring him back around. And then John, John Goodman, Goodman shows up, and the great—he's the greatest cameo of all time. Period. Uh, <laughs> this is when John Goodman shows up. I know we're like, yeah, in any movie, yeah, any movie. He's just a great, like, yeah, it's, uh, the that Coen Brothers movie too, the uh, Oh Brother World. Yeah, it's like, yeah, John Goodman's here. Why am I so excited? And where the scene where John Goodman comes in and gets some cocaine, and Denzel does the cocaine to wake himself up out of the alcoholic state. And then he sort of comes out of the hotel dressed in his suit, looking all crisp. 
And I, when I saw it, people were like, yeah! And you're like, you're actually cheering a man who's about to perjure himself. <laughs> <laughs> while on coke. Yeah, while on coke. And you're like, good for you! Just, we see him all the time. He's at, well, fewer now, but he's been, you know, through the years at Laker games all the time. Yeah. So you see him. What I just love about him is, like, there's nobody... A lot of people, oh, I'm just a guy. No. Yeah. Denzel is hyper-aware of yes. his Denzel Washington-ness. Mm-hmm. And also, how goddamn cool it is to be Denzel mm-hmm, Washington. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Yes, like, but you at the see same time, him you're you're not, like, you can't be mad at him about no! it. No. No, it's like, yeah. You we all like, would be if we could. Yeah, you feel like he's, it's again, this is this ethereal thing. You feel like he's earned it. He fought for it. He's yeah. not some dude who's, yeah. And you feel like he's doing it for us. Yes, like that's he's the being Denzel Washington in that enthusiastically for me. I think he's. It is funny because he's pretty low key, but I think he's aware of the power of this of the big D, big W Denzel Washington. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's aware that it's like oh, no, it's yeah. not a it's not a game, and I'm not going to give it away. Like I would say, Denzel doesn't show up on talk shows for fun. Like you know, you can get Tom Hanks to show up for fun, but Denzel's like, no, this is not a game. This is a, it's a gift, and I don't just want to give it away. <laughs> with, with that in mind, was it more painful for you or Denzel when he didn't win for fences? That's definitely more painful for me. <laughs> although, although I will say the look on his face was the first time I was like, he actually is a little upset. Oh, I think it was probably because of Casey Affleck. Yeah, yes. I think it was that was like that dude. Well, it was. I don't know if it was so much Casey Affleck because I mean, I I would have voted for Denzel, but Casey Affleck is good in that movie. I think it was. Are you ever going to see that movie again? Uh, no, it's depressing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I haven't made it all the way through yet. I, exactly. No, I mean, it, I, mean everybody, a, I haven't seen it yet, but everybody's like, it's not a pleasant watch. No, that's what I'm saying. Whereas Fences is going to be every Christmas, there's going to be a black family that's like, time to put on Fences. It's going to be <laughs> one of those things. I think it was more that Den- that Casey Affleck was trying to draw Denzel yeah, into the moment no, where he was like, no, no leave no. me. I-, I know what you're and going it, through and right it was now. the second time he did that. He did it at the at the Golden Globes, and Denzel's like, gave him that the sad thumbs up of right. like, okay, man, keep it moving. I'm not letting you or all these people think off that, the hook. Yeah, and I'm also, <laughs> right. I'm not going to let them think that we have some sort of like, oh, right. me and you, Casey. No. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, doing uh, that. Uh, we, no. I, I know your PR battle right now. Yeah. Do not drag <laughs> me into exactly. that. The look on his face is like, no, 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 keep it moving. Um, I, I guess the natural question I had was if Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period, who's the second greatest? Uh, I, well, I think – I don't know if she's the second greatest, but I think that if, if I was to do another podcast, but I don't have this level of fan interest, I'd be, I think Meryl Streep gets credit as the greatest woman actor of all time. But it's like, let's be, let's be real. Like, this is like, let's not – this is one of the things that's like we don't need to divide into uh, gender categories for this. I think I would go she's with She's pretty the, good. She's pretty good. Just by herself. Yeah, just by herself. I mean, I will – if the devil were pro, if the devil's wears Prada comes on that TV right there, I'll just stop talking and watch the devil. It's sort of like we do – we do that with Serena Williams. So yeah, like, yeah. You know, yes, yes. It's just like, let's – She's like the best female of the, tennis of player. Of all the ladies. She's won like 7,000 majors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of all the ladies, she's almost as good as like a bad man. Like, yeah, it's like let's – I, 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 I hear, it. you know, somebody oh, – the 500th uh, – Best man, men's tennis player would smoke Serena Williams. Like, I don't, I don't think I so. Don't know, actually, but I also don't care. Well, yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. care, but I actually don't think it's true. Like, like I don't know because there's I the thing about being Serena Williams that is about the power of that. That is that the 500th best tennis player who's a man doesn't have. Like, yeah, the, the presence of like, are you ready for this? <laughs> are you ready for this big moment? Like, I imagine Serena is going to be less intimidated by this yes. situation than the 500th I mean, best tennis player. Not to get, bogged down in hot tennis talk but it, it, you know, it's just, <laughs> some hot tennis takes yeah i mean like you know i'm sure it was podcast. true like back in like the chris everett days where you know it, rallies were seven hours long each and they didn't hit the ball very hard i mean she hits the ball hard but now you know the men hit hard i don't i don't know but i don't care yeah so yeah, i think i mean my my daughter's favorite sport is uh 
is a uh, American Ninja Warrior, <laughs> and the men competing against the women on that show. And then um, I, I was listening to the Carbon Copy podcast, and congratulations for even finding it. Yeah, no, I, uh, Bucky Sinister, who was on, who had been on the show in the early days, uh, sent it to me, and so I had it. So I have a copy. Of, it's a double feature with Carbon Copy and uh, the movie that he did where he was British, uh, the one about the uh, for the love of, for Queen and Country. Um, and you guys were talking about how like some of the comedy for Denzel, he didn't really know how to play. He was playing like a like a. Straight theater it's actor. His first movie, yeah, he was playing like a theater actor. I mean, he's good in it, but it's his first movie, he's, so he's not super confident. Yeah, he's, he's playing the moments more straight than for yeah. comedy. And they, it's, I feel like there's both his comedy, big comedy movies that were sort of supposed to be big comedies for him, that and uh, and Heart Condition. You can tell they were sort of written with the idea, like, and then a, and then a funny guy will come in and do, like, like Richard Pryor will come in and do something, or Eddie Murphy, and it was like Denzel's not that guy. Well, it's funny because you guys were talking about how Eddie Murphy. You could imagine him like somehow elevating the material of carbon copy if that's yeah. even possible. Yeah, <laughs> I I just learned speaking of that that apparently, and you may know this, Denzel turned down Eddie Murphy's role in Forty Eight Hours. See, that's what I'm saying. That's they were just like he's a young black guy. <laughs> Realizing like, no, but he does a different thing. He just came off of New, the New York boards. Like he was a he's an actor. He's not. But yeah, that uh, good for him for turning it down. But it, <laughs> but that would have been a different. That would have been applying a certain level of laziness in the casting people. In that, in that I'm, I'm trying yeah. to. I'm trying to. Yeah, yeah that like hey, we need a. It's written for a young black guy. Bring the young black guys of Hollywood in. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> that's not. They're not the same guy. And Eddie Murphy's a good actor, but it's not. You know, it's not. That's not the same. That's not the same thing where you just bring Eddie Murphy in because all those movies, all those big Eddie Murphy movies from back in the day, in the hands of a lesser actor, we're not talking. Do they about do that, that better now? They being the casting people. Oh, we need a young black guy. Let's, there's a young black guy. I mean, well, I mean, things. I think things are generally better now because of because of because of Denzel and also because of Eddie Murphy because the, they kicked the door open in a big profound way and also because Denzel does a lot of different things and you can't cast him in everything. But I think anytime you start to pat yourself on the back, you go. You're like, yeah, Blackish is amazing. How come there's not five of those shows on the air? You and know? does and does well. Yeah, and does well. Yes. Or like, or like on ABC, really? Yeah, they have like Fresh Off the Boat and uh, and Doctor Ken, which are two Asian-driven comedy shows. And you're like, yeah, it's the golden era of two. Like, you know, <laughs> like it's just like we have to be careful about like, and I think that's the thing that people of color we're trying to be careful about getting too excited about things because then those things can disappear. Like the Oscars this year, yeah, like what four. Black people won things, but it's like next year might be back to one. Well, it's also too, and I was like, we I, we were making this joke, and we went, all went to the same Oscar party. It's like, all right, if we can't get it this year, like every movie, yeah. was a black movie. Yes, yes <laughs> like they were yeah, all yeah, like yeah. it was like you know what? It's like as if you know, Black Hollywood got together and said, "Look, we're going to flood the zone this year, <laughs> well, and we're going to really prove a point because if we can't do it with nineteen different movies that are all worthy, yeah, it's not happening." Well, I think that's the thing. It's like there's always black movies that are out, or movies starring more than just white actors. I don't just putting them into black, but they're not usually they're not looked at in the same way. The year that Twelve Years a Slave won all those Oscars, Fruitvale Station, Ryan Coogler's movies, right. in the th- and it's like that's a great movie, but they're just like, nah, not really. Like, we like our racism from a long time ago. You know, like, <laughs> it's a little too modern. Well, it's, yeah. it's baby steps, though. It, yes, it is. But that's what we have to remind ourselves because you know every every time we get caught up in the the, the black white race discussion, and every time you get caught up in that, meanwhile, there's like Latino people and Native American people, and they be like, "Hey, when when do we get our movies? When right. do we get our our wins? And that's the that's the beauty of the show. To to wrap it back there, so you are. It's not just let's talk about black people and white people. It's mm-hmm. let's go see natives. Let's go to East LA. Let's go. To, I mean, all these places that you went in the first season. So that's the whole point. Uh, that's the whole point for me. Is like it's you know America doesn't just need to learn about black and white relations. America needs to learn about itself from the top to the bottom.
Well, the show does a really good job of it. W. Kamau Bell, United Shades of America, second season kicks off April 30th. Thank you very much for joining us, man. We wanted to do this for a while. No, thank you for having me. I'm glad we finally worked it out. And like, I guess we can go, although Phil Jackson just came on that TV up there, which makes me feel feelings. But, yeah, let's go. <laughs> All the feels.